The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen. Hope your Bible's with me in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter number two, First Thessalonians chapter number two. I believe probably the very hardest thing for a Christian to do is to be a soul winner. I think when we first get saved, the hardest thing to do is to tithe because you just can't believe that you can actually make it with less money because none of us have enough money. But once you get into the habit of tithing, you recognize that honestly, it's not cliche, you cannot outgive God. And so so tithing, tithing you don't struggle with forever, but uh, I think most Christians, because it's a spiritual battle, I think most Christians really struggle with talking to others about the Lord. Now, we can invite them to church, and we can hand out tracts, and I'm certainly not against either of those, those are important, but to come down to it and to specifically ask somebody whether or not they're saved, that's tough. That's hard. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to make it a little easy for you. Uh, by the way, I've preached here enough that you will recognize some of my illustrations. My sermons are new, but my illustrations, they just kind of plug and play, all right? So if I say something you think's familiar, it probably is familiar, but I promise you the sermons are new. But what I want to do tonight is I want to give the invitation before I preach the sermon. Okay? Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands or come forward just yet, but I do want to tell you exactly what the invitation is going to be. I'm going to ask every single one of you that know the Lord that you'll make a commitment to God that sometime between now and the end of the revival on Friday night, sometime this week, you'll do your very best to talk to at least one person about his or her soul. I've discovered that if we promise to be a soul winner, it's hard to follow up on that. If we commit to talk to one person or more than one, then we're pretty well obligated to fulfill our commitment. So uh, you say, why don't you tell us that up front so that you have about 30 minutes to argue with God before we get into the invitation, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, the Apostle Paul writing to this great church under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he's expressing his heart. Verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Go down with me now to verse number 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, 
Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Father, I pray you'd help me to preach tonight with power. I pray the message would be a help. And God, we'd be reminded of our responsibility and then help us to simply obey you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 19 and 20, Paul tells these people that they are his crown of rejoicing. Now, when I was a young preacher, I think probably all young preachers do this, I preached a sermon on crowns in the Bible. Talked about the martyr's crown and used this passage as a soul-winning crown. But uh, honestly, that's not what this crown means. I'm not talking about something you wear on your head. I'm talking about the, the apex, the zenith, the top, the highest, the crown of rejoicing. Let me ask you a question tonight. What causes you to rejoice? Maybe uh, your favorite sports team winning. Don't check the score. Maybe uh, maybe a, a, a raise at work. That's always great joy. Grandchildren are wonderful. Doesn't mean I want to see pictures of yours, but grandchildren are wonderful. They're a great source of joy. Did you ever notice how that is? Everybody in the world thinks you want to see their grandchildren. And you have to look at them, otherwise they won't look at yours. So. But Paul said, out of all the things that bring me joy, it's not the, the, the sermons that I've been able to preach, it's not the friends that I've made, it's not the accomplishments in my life. My crown of rejoicing is you people that I've seen trust Christ and watch you grow in the Lord. Now, verse number 13, he, he begins to just kind of well up inside, you know. One of those things where it just starts in his toes, and you can see him getting excited about it. He says that we uh, also, uh, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Why? Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He said, I'm so excited that you received the word as it is in truth, the word of God. But I want you to notice, he says, you received it of us. Somebody had to tell them. Somebody had to witness. Somebody had to present the gospel. And by the way, unless you're very, very unusual, somebody had to tell you how to get saved. I didn't get to grow up in a Christian home. Many of you have heard my testimony. My mom and dad, I grew up in a little town called Jackpot, Nevada. Can you imagine living in Jackpot, Nevada? My mom and dad both worked in a gambling casino. The town where we live is very small. There was no church of any kind. I'm not talking uh, there was no good Bible preaching church. There was none of any denomination, any cult, nothing. But there was a Baptist preacher who pastored about 60 miles away who would come to our town and on Saturdays have Bible school for the kids. They always had refreshments typically chocolate chip cookies, so of course I would go. 
Well, I'm sure that I probably heard the gospel, but if I did, it didn't click. But when I was 13, he said to me, our youth department is going to camp. We'd like to have you come. Well, it's summer. I'm kind of bored. And I said, well, what are you going to do at camp? And he told me all the fun stuff. He tricked me. And so I, I, I said, sure, I'll go. And I went to camp. And it, it was a fun time. But in the evening, after we had finished eating, they set up picnic tables. I asked the guy, I said, hey, what's going on with the tables? He said, we're getting ready for our service. What service? He said, we're going to have a preaching service. And I got nervous because I'd heard about these cults. They would kidnap teenagers, take them up in the woods, and brainwash them. Pretty soon they're handing out carnations at the airport. And I figured anybody that had preaching service on a Monday night has got to be a cult. And so I said, I'm not really into this religion stuff. Uh, how about if you all have your service, I'll just wait in the tent. He goes, no, you have to come. Great. And so I, 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 he said, I want all the girls on this side of the table and all the guys on this side of the table. And I picked me a spot across from a pretty girl. I thought, at least I'll make this time worth my while. And he began to preach. I'd never heard preaching before, never heard a sermon before. But this guy was a wild man. He walked around hollering, yelling, and screaming, and spitting. And the whole time, I'm just going, whoa. I had my friend with me. I leaned over. I said, man, this is better than TV. And when he finished, he gave the invitation. I'd never seen an invitation before. He said, some of you need to get saved. Well, you're supposed to close your eyes, but, but, but I peek. And a couple of those kids raised their hand, and they sang the invitation song, and they, they got up, and they went to some of the counselors, and then the counselors took them to the woods. I thought, whoo, glad I didn't go. Later on, I asked a guy in my tent, I said, hey, hey, what happened to those kids in the woods? He said, well, they went to get saved. The guy looked at me and said, you ever been saved? Well, I figured out with these Baptists, saved is a good thing. So I said, well, yeah, of course, several times. <laughs> well, the next night, he preached a sermon about hell, and I never heard of hell. I knew it was a bad word. I didn't know it was a real place. But he preached with power, told us how wonderful heaven was, and if you're not saved when you die, you'll go to hell. But if you get saved when you die, you can go to heaven. And while he's preaching, God began to work on my heart. I was under conviction. I'd never been under conviction before. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I didn't like it. And he's preaching away, and I just kept thinking, I need to get saved or I'm going to hell. I need to get saved or I'm going to hell. Finally, he gave the invitation. He said, if you'd like to get saved, I'd like you to raise your hand. Well, I wanted to raise my hand. I wanted to get saved. But, but I didn't want that girl to know I wasn't already saved. I didn't want my friend to think I was some kind of a wimp. And so even though God's dealing with my heart, I didn't get saved. I couldn't sleep that night. I was under such conviction that I made a promise to God. I said, Lord, I promise I'll get saved tomorrow. Next night at church, he's preaching. I didn't even listen to him. I just kept thinking, hurry up. I got to get saved. As soon as he finished the sermon, he said, if you need to get saved, I want you to raise your hand. My hand went straight up. I didn't care about anybody. 
He said, I want you to come talk to me or one of our counselors, and we'll show you from the Bible how you can know that you're saved. I jumped out of my seat. I went right to the preacher. I'm not taking a chance with a counselor. I went right to the preacher, and he said, what are you coming for? I said, I need to get saved. He opened the Bible. We went over to the picnic table, and we sat down, and he opened the Bible, and he explained the gospel to me that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and he was buried, and rose again the third day. If I'd put my faith and trust in Him, my sins would be forgiven. I'd be on my way to heaven. And He helped me pray and asked God to save me, and I got saved. I'll try that again, because evidently I'm a little more excited about it than the rest of you. A lot of times when people get saved, I don't know, God's people might say, Amen. Yeah, let me try that again. I got saved! I was 13 years old. You know what? Every time I preach a meeting, I always talk about that night that I got saved because I don't ever want to forget it, and I'm sure I'll never get over it. The fellow that led me to Christ, he died two years ago, 93 years old. But you know, every single month before he died, I'd write him a letter. I'd just say, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you telling me about Jesus. You know, I know God can do anything, but humanly speaking, if it hadn't been for that man, I would have never heard the gospel. I might never have been saved. And I understood that it was his concern for my soul that made a difference. Listen, if you're saved, somebody made a difference. Somebody cared about you. So Paul says that you received the word, but you heard it from us. Then he goes on to express his desire to come see them. He said, you began to know the truth and you began to grow and now you folks are our crowd of rejoicing. He said, you know, it just causes great joy. You know, it is a joy to tell other people about Christ. It is a joy to tell others about Christ. Because it's a joy to invest in something that matters. Remember when I was in first grade, teacher said, we're going to make a Mother's Day card for mom. And I thought, well, that's great. I always have to get money from her and then buy her something. And this way, it, uh, she won't even know it's coming. And so she gave us all a piece of poster board and said, now, I want you to trace your hands. So I put my hand down. And, I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to be humble, but it, it was an excellent job. Excellent job. Then she came around with the paint. And she said, you pick a color. And I, I, I took blue. And I, and I colored in the hand that I'd painted. And on the board, she wrote the words, Happy Mother's Day. I love you, Mom. And we were supposed to copy that. So I wrote it down, Happy Mother's Day. I love you, Mom. And down below, we signed our name. And I looked at that. And I'm telling you, folks, it was a masterpiece. She said, now take it home tonight. But Mother's Day is not till Sunday. This was Friday. So I walked in the house. And I've got my picture behind my back. I said, Mom. Got something for you, but you can't see it. And it's blue. And it's for you, for Mother's Day. She said, okay, go put it away. So I went in my bedroom, and I, I, I put that thing away. And 
Man, I'm so excited. I took it out Friday night and I looked at it and I looked at it on Saturday. We didn't go to church on Sunday. That's my dad's only day off. And so we had a rule that, that we couldn't make any noise till 8 o'clock so dad could sleep in. And so my brothers and I, we'd always get up at 6 o'clock and watch cartoons. But on Sunday, you turn it down real low. And I'm watching cartoons and I'm watching that clock. And man, it took forever. But finally... It's 8 o'clock. I ran the bedroom. I got that. I come back. Pound on the door. What do you want? I got your present. Just a minute. All right, come in. I walked in. Gave it to my mom. She looked at it. She started crying. I said, you don't like it? She said, it's beautiful. And I said, yep. I said, you want to get a frame? She said, no, let's put it on the refrigerator so everybody can see it. I said, that's a great idea, Mom. That's a great idea. Well, it's Mother's Day, right? Grandma came over. She ate with us, but I know she came to see that picture. So as soon as she walked in the house, I grabbed her. I took her over. I said, Grandma, 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 look at there. My grandma said, oh, that is really pretty. And I said, yes, it is. And do you know for the next week, anybody that came by our house, I'm talking the mailman, the guy who picked up our garbage, I'd drag him in the house to show him that picture. Now, who's the picture for? It's for my mom. But I made it for her. And it was such a joy to me to do something for her that caused her great pleasure. You know, one of these days we're going to stand before God. We're going to see our blessed Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. And we'll, we'll begin to comprehend what it means to be saved, to have that new body and to be separated from all sickness and sorrow forever and ever and ever. And when we see those nail-pierced hands and we're remembering that He did all of that for us. And then we say, Lord, I talked to Him about You. And I told her about you. And as we're able to see in heaven those that sat in your Sunday school uh, class and those that rode on your bus route and those people that you invited to church and those folks that you handed a tract to and had no concept that, that they would read it and get saved. You lost contact. You never heard from them again. We get to heaven. And as eternity reveals, there will be great joy because we invested in something that matters. Something that matters. It's a joy. It's a joy to interrupt the program of the devil. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the devil winning. I'm tired of him getting our kids. And I'm tired of him destroying our homes. And I'm tired of him ruining our churches. And the way to battle the devil is to win people to Christ. I was in a revival meeting in Madison. Wisconsin, which is one of the more uh, liberal places on the planet. 
There was a lady that went to the church. She's completely blind, and the state provided a caretaker for her. A guy got paid to take her to get groceries and take her to the laundromat, and uh, she said, I want to go to church. He said, I'm an atheist. She said, it doesn't matter. You're getting paid. Take me to church. And so he brought her to church. She said, I'm going to need some help. I always sit on the front row. And so right down here on the front row was the lady and Eric, her caretaker. The pastor leaned over and he told me, he said, that guy's an atheist. He's been here a couple more uh, times before. And I said, well, praise God, we got somebody to shoot at tonight. I preached the message, and at the invitation, I said, if you're not saved and you want to get saved, Eric raised his hand, gave the invitation. He came forward. The preacher took him into the back room, opened the Bible, and led him to Christ. The preacher asked him, he said, what was it that convinced you? He said, it just seemed like the logical thing to do. I love it. I love it when those that we consider to be hard cases. You know, there's no such thing as a hard case. Everybody needs Christ. We had that ministry to the soldiers of Fort Leonard Wood. We'd bus in guys and girls who were in basic training and preach the gospel. Now, they didn't come because they wanted to hear me. They came to get away from their sergeant. And so we had a whole spectrum of religion. And I remember one Sunday night, soldier with tear-stained cheeks shook my hand, and he said, Father, that's the best mass I ever heard. I said, you get saved tonight? He said, I did. I said, bless you, my son. I'm telling you, it's a joy to interrupt the program of the devil. It's a joy to see people get saved. What's a joy to have a part in answered prayer? Oftentimes, I would get letters from parents saying, my son got saved, been praying for him for years. My daughter got saved. You can't imagine what a joy it was. Right after the Gulf War had started, a lady called from St. Louis and said, is this the church that has the afternoon where the soldiers can come? They get a meal and then they go to a church service. I was gone by then, but our, our new pastor said, yes, ma'am, it, it is. She said, our Son, went to your service. And he talked about asking Jesus to save him, how it had changed his life. And she said, you can't imagine the difference in our son. She said, we got word today, been killed in action. We were wondering if it would be all right for the family to come down so we can learn what he learned. Mom and dad, two siblings came. 
And all four of them trusted Christ as Savior. See, what I'm telling you is what we do matters. When we talk to people about Christ, it's an investment that matters. We would have the soldiers fill out a decision card, and on the decision card, we always ask for their home address because. Many of them were in the reserves and they would just do basic training and then go home. And I would contact a church in their home area to to follow up on the family. And lots of folks got saved through that. But one Sunday night, I'm going through these cards and I see there's a fellow that got saved from Joliet, Illinois. Well, that's my wife's hometown. And we were going to visit her parents in a couple of weeks. And I thought, I'd like to make that follow-up call myself. And so uh, that Friday night, a couple weeks later on Friday night, I had the card. Karen's dad and I went to the address of this soldier that had gotten saved. Knocked on a door, and a lady answered the door, and I said, Ma'am, my name's Hal Hightower, and I'm the pastor of the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Lebanon, Missouri, and A couple of months ago, your son came to our church and she just broke down sobbing, sobbing. And her husband came to the door, very defensive. He goes, what's going on? And I explained to him what I just told his wife. And he said, would you come in? We sat at the table. And he said, I'm sorry, but this is the worst day of our life. We, We just got word that our son killed in action. And I said, well, let me tell you, I said, there's no way that I can understand the grief and the sorrow and the burden that you feel. But let me tell you about your son. And I explained how he had come to our program and we had fed him and he had a time of fellowship. And then I I preached the, the gospel and I explained the gospel through every step of the way. And I said at the invitation, Your son came forward and our counselor went through the word of God with him and he prayed and asked God to save him. I said, on the basis of of the word of God and his testimony, your son right now is in heaven. And I tried to explain the gospel to mom and dad, but they were so brokenhearted, they just really weren't able to listen. They were a strong, strong Catholic family. But as we got up to leave, I asked if I might just have a word of prayer. And I prayed that they would be comforted in their loss and that that God would watch over the family and maybe someday they'd all come to know Christ. And as I started to leave, that soldier's mom grabbed me and put her head on my shoulder and she just sobbed. And when she finally gained her composure, she said to me, she said, there is nothing that anybody could have said to us today that would have meant more to me. There is nothing that anybody could have done for us today that would have given me more comfort. She said, I don't really understand what he did, but I thank you. I thank you. As I got in my car, I just sat there for a few moments weeping, thanking God that we had one chance to tell a young man about Christ. It really does matter. And so the Apostle Paul said, you folks are our crown of rejoicing. Listen, telling people about the Lord, that's a big deal. 
But you know, the sad truth is, it's not often a big deal to us. Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of Christ. I speak this to your shame. He said, there are people that haven't heard. Shame on you. As I think of this matter of soul winning, I say, shame on us. Shame on us. For our disobedience. We know that we're supposed to tell others about Christ. We come up with a million reasons not to. Well, I've tried. I don't want to drive them away. Can I remind you, and I'm not talking about being obnoxious, but if somebody's going to hell, you can't drive them any farther. Charles Peace, one of the most notorious criminals in the history of England, finally captured. He's sentenced to die by hanging at the gallows. As He's awaiting his execution just a couple of hours away. A clergyman comes in to talk with him. Asks him if he's ready for heaven. And Charles Pease laughed and he said, you don't believe that. And the minister said, I I, I do. He said, you don't. He said, I've lived in the town where you have a church and Never one time did you tell me, Charles P. said, if I really believed in heaven and I really believed in hell, I would crawl over broken glass to tell everybody I knew how to get to heaven and how to avoid hell. He said, you don't believe it, and I certainly don't believe it. Charles P. died that day and most probably went to hell. It's easy for us to talk about what we believe. But the Bible is very clear that faith without works is dead. And so shame on us for our disobedience. Shame on us for our distorted priorities. Several years ago, young uh, a mother on a bus screamed at the bus driver, Stop the bus! Stop the bus. My daughter is having a heart attack. Nine-year-old girl had just recently had a pacemaker uh, put on her heart. And she said, she's having a heart attack. Her pacemaker's malfunctioning. And the driver opened the door and he said, get off the bus. And she said, she said, the hospital is two blocks over. Would you please rush us there? And the man said, I'm not getting off my route. You get off the bus and walk. And before they made it to the hospital, that little girl died. When I read that story in the newspaper, I thought, what a wretched human being that bus driver is. And then God convicted my heart as I thought of person after person after person that I was too busy with my route to be bothered about their never dying soul. No wonder God says, shame on us. Shame on us for our double standards. We talk about it, we preach it, we teach it, but we don't do it. Shame on us for our complacence. Shame on us for knowing the gospel and not sharing the gospel. Last year that I pastored in Missouri, 
the week of vacation Bible schools were out just saturating the area with flyers. I passed out about a million flyers, and I felt like, you know, I probably ought to go tell somebody about the Lord. So I knocked on the door. The lady says, come in. I hate that. Get up and answer the door. She said, come in. I said, we're burglars. We came to rob you. She said, I ain't got nothing. Come on in. So I went in. I said, we're not really burglars. She said, I didn't think you were. I said, actually, we're just out talking to folks about the most important thing in all the world. I said, ma'am, let me ask you a question. If you died right now, you know for sure you'd go to heaven? She said, no. I said, would you mind if I took the Bible and showed you what God said about how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? And she said to me, you don't know how long I've been waiting for somebody like you to come by. You don't know how long I've been waiting for somebody like you to come by. Sat down and opened scriptures and that lady got saved. Remember the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8? He's reading from Isaiah 53. Philip jumps up in the chariot. He says, understandest thou what thou readest? And the man says, how can I? Unless some man should guide me. Shame on us. Shame on us. The, the world is dying and going to hell. And we're too embarrassed to talk about Christ. Now, I'm not asking you to do something that's Impossible. I'm not even asking you to do something that's difficult. I'm just asking you to talk to one person about Christ this week. Just one. Not going to ask if you could, because I know you could. Not going to ask if you should, because I know you should. I'm just going to ask, will you? Will you? The poem says, too long I've laid me down to sleep. Prayed the Lord my soul to keep. I should awake before I die and realize time is passing by and rise and go and tell the loss despite my plans, despite the cost. Too long I've laid me down to sleep while multitudes about me weep and utter cries of dark despair for no one ever seems to care. My life is short and soon I'll stand with sinner's blood upon my hands unless I wake before I die and realize time is passing by. Are you saved? If so, let's tell somebody else. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. Friend, if you're not saved, 